Welcome to C3 Wellington. We're a community on a mission to live, love, and lead like Jesus. For more information about C3 Wellington and to find out about upcoming events and services, visit our website, c3wellington.com. We're so glad you're joining us for this message. We pray it impacts you today. Come on, welcome. This is the last week, week four of our series, Win, Winning the War in your mind, and uh, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this Mesha series, and, and I hope you have too. And I just wanna give a shout out to our, our, our production team, Michael who leads it, and uh, Hayden who leads the setup team. These guys are amazing, and they kind of just like co-share those, <laughs> they're both, in, both involved in both arenas of, of, the, of church life and those, those, um, those teams, but uh, it's so good that uh, they've got the messages back up on, into podcast land, and so I just wanna encourage you uh, to, to uh, if you need to listen again, sometimes the second time through, you pick up stuff you didn't the first time, as well as there's an opportunity for you to share. If you feel like this message could be a blessing to somebody, let's hope that it is a blessing this morning. And if you feel like it's a blessing to someone else, you can share it. It's such a powerful thing to allow this, this context to go beyond this group of people this morning and have its life of its own on the line. And so it's so good that we can do that. And thank you team for being able to make that happen. Uh, already there are uh, stories of testimonies coming back of people outside of our church family that have been blessed by hearing it. I had two pastors come up to me, sorry, a, a friend and a pastor come up to me over the weekend saying, listen to your last message. And they started ribbing me about some of the lines I used, you know, as you do, which is fantastic. And Anyway, it's great to be able to have that resource up there. Let's utilize it and let's get the message of Christ out to people. Amen. This winning the war in your mind is an every person battle, isn't it? It's an every person battle. So anyway, this morning my message title is One Mind. One Mind. And my key scripture this morning is Philippians 2. And it's pretty much 1 all the way through to 11, but the key verses of the first verses, Philippians 2 verses 1 and 2, and I was kind of apprehended at conference because Pastor Steve Burgess preached a message out of uh, the back half of these scriptures, Philippians 5 to 11, two, verse, chapter 2 verses 5 to 11, and I was so like roasted by the Holy Spirit in such a great way during his message. I mean, he preached with such fire around the character of Jesus and, and the bottom line of his message is that we are so unastonished and so low on astonishment of the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he used the, uh, the, the, the story that uh, a, a theologian, Soren Kierkegaard, talked about ducks waddling into church and the duck preacher preached the duck message and the ducks all said yes and amen and sung their duck hymns and then waddled home. But the message was, ducks, you have wings and you can fly. You can fly and break through the barriers that you have, and you can fly. And, uh, and then they just like, yay, amen, and said, yes and amen, and I can fly. And then they just waddled home. And he's like, he's like, we don't want to be waddling ducks. Come on, ducks, you have wings. And it was all about just us understanding the wonder and the splendor of what Jesus has done for us. And it was such a powerful message, wasn't it, Michael? And so in preparation for my message, I'm like, I'm just so like apprehended by what Pastor Steve preached, that I've had to sort of come at my message this morning with his message in my heart, because I feel like it's necessary to couple what I was wanting to say and what I'm going to say with what he had to say. But before I, that's, that's, a, that's a prefix uh, for what I want to say, but let's, let's read the scripture this morning. This is Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2, our key verse here. One mind this morning, one mind. So let's read. So if there is any encouragement, 
in Christ, Paul writes, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Can you say one mind? One mind. Paul is saying that if you look, if, if all of these things matter to you, if all, if, if all of what I've preached and taught you matters to you, would you just complete my joy? See, Paul planted this church in Philippi. He's so connected and loved to these people. Look, I can relate to Paul. Look, I, I, we've planted a church. He planted so many churches, but I can relate to this love. If, if you can complete my joy, he says, could you just, could you be of the same mind? Could you be of the same mind, have the same love, and be in full accord in the one mind? And I thought it's interesting because here's what I always ask myself. What does it mean for us to be in the same mind? Is that we all have to think exactly the same? Like you've all got to love the things that I love, and I've got to love the things that you love, which means if, if, if I love brisket and board games and running, then you've got to like those three things too. If I like hunting, you better like it too because we've got to be of the same mind. Is it that we have the same things in common like that? Is that what he's talking about? Like what does he mean to be in the same mind. Well, I thought if we actually look at the Greek word, because <laughs> I know, you know I love to do this, if I look at the Greek word that he uses here, maybe it will expound on what he actually is referring to here by saying, come on, I want you, complete my joy by being in the same mind. So here's the Greek word used right here, used both times, same mind, one mind. The word mind is phreneo. Phreneo. Let me, can I read you the definition the, from, from, the, from the dictionary here of, of what this Greek word meant? This is what Paul was, was espousing and hoping when he said, be of the same mind. It means this. It says, phreneo, to exercise the mind. That is, to be mentally disposed earnestly in a certain direction. Intensively to interest oneself with concern or obedience to set your affection on. I'm going to read that again. To exercise the mind, that is to be mentally disposed earnestly in a certain direction. <laughs> Intensively to interest oneself with concern of obedience and to set your affection on. That's what the word mind means here, phreneo. So Paul is saying to the church that he planted, to the church that he loves, it would be, it would complete my joy, church of Philippi, if you were unified in your desire, your passion, your affection, and your devotion. It would complete my joy, church of Philippi, if together you would earnestly focus in a certain direction. It would complete my joy, church of Philippi, if you would intensively concern yourself with obeying Christ. One mind, the same mind. Isn't that all of a sudden just expand on it? Look, we don't have to both like blue cheese, people. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but we should, be, we should be unified in our desire, unified in our passion, unified in our, in our affection and devotion of Jesus. We should be together, earnestly focused and set on a direction together. We should, we should be intensively concerned about obeying Christ. And as he says, look to his example. This is what he means when he says, set 
your minds and, and sorry, excuse me, what he means by being of the same mind and of one mind. Let me read it to you in the Passion Translation. It says this, same verse, verse two, it says, walking together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbound joy, Paul says. If you would walk together with one harmonious purpose, you would fill my heart with joy. And so to be of the same mind is to be united in our passion. To be of the same mind is to be united in our direction as a church family. To be of the same mind is to be united in our obedience towards Christ. To be of the same mind is to be united in one harmonious purpose, C3 Wellington. I feel like I could say the same thing. Come on, to complete my joy, C3 Wellington, let's be of the same mind. Can I get an amen? Come on, let's be of the same mind. Let's be one-minded people. Because who knows that your mind is the birthplace of intention and desire? Because we, know, we love this, right? I, I changed my mind. Uh, you know, what, what, hey, I thought you were going to do this. Well, I changed my mind. I had intent to do that. I desired to do that, but I, I decided to change my intention to change my desire, and I went another way. You thought about something, you weighed it up in your mind, and you just decided, you choose to change. Because intent and desire start in the mind. This is where it begins. And so, so uh, passion, direction, purpose, obeying, and obedience are birthed, are birthed and realized in your mind. If you can change your mind, if you can set your mind, if you can choose, then come on, church, let's choose. Let's choose. We can choose passion and purpose and focus and direction together. We can choose these things. And, and, and when, I, when I'm saying this, I just want you to remember what Steve Burgess was talking about in his message. I know that you haven't heard, but you can take my word for it. That, come on, we have lost our astonishment of Jesus. We are low on astonishment in church. We are low. There, look, you know that through COVID, globally, about one third of the church have not returned to church? I realize there are some nations that still aren't gathering. I realize there are some countries still in a sense of lockdown. But there's been a pruning. Come on, there's been a shaking. The Bible is not, does not, not talk about this. It talks about it. There'll be prunings and shaking. And, and we've, we've ourselves lost some church family through this situation here. Come on, there's a pruning and a shaking. We've got to be high on astonishment. If we're going to make it through, if we're going to, there's, look, there's a shift going on in culture right now, amen? We can feel it. You can feel like a sort of a sense of a dark cloud. But come on, I'm not afraid of that because I know that light shines brightest in the darkness. Can I get an amen? And come on, that the gospel has always gone forward the greatest in the mountains of persecution, but it's coming, church family. There are two bills about to be put in front of Parliament uh, that, that, that have an impact, could have a major impact on the way that we do life and do ministry and pastor. And, and these things are right in front of us right now in our country. We need to be high on the astonishment of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because that's what's going to stir us. That's what's going to lift passion. Now, I can be as passionate, and uh, this is why I love passion, because passion is contagious, right? Like, I'm hoping even now you're kind of like, I kind of, there's sort of something, because Steve's up there, he's all passionate, so maybe that's something getting raised up inside me. But come on, passion is contagious, but you know, even so, because let me tell you a story about passion. You see, I, I, I was, uh, we spent a month in Maui, on the island of Maui, in Hawaii, leading up to my friend's wedding. Bex and I were newly, we've been married one year, we had a very, I think Lily was four months old when we went to Hawaii, and, uh, and, but we had a month in Hawaii. It was amazing. 
Now, we lived on the Coromandel, which has a lot of surf beaches and, and, and great surf. I'd never really been into surfing. Went to Maui, and my, the groomsman, uh, my good mate, was right into surfing, and uh, he had a ute and longboards, and every morning we'd get up and we'd uh, just drive down the road like a couple of k's, park, jump in the water, which is like lovely and warm, and it's Hawaii, and the sun's rising up, and there's these beautiful little three-foot curlers that are just perfect for learning to surf, because I was learning to surf. And even when there wasn't a wave, you're just sitting there in awe and wonder of the grandeur of God. You know, who wouldn't sit in the... I'm sitting in the surf in Maui with my mate, and the sun's rising, and it's a beautiful thing. And I thought to myself, because he was so passionate, I think I'm a surfer. I think I'm into this. I didn't realize that. And so I got back to New Zealand. I thought I might give the surfing a go. And then I realized, and where I live, you've got to drive 10 or 15 minutes, that it's cold, that it's dumpy, that you can get out there. You might drive and it's not even on, or you, you can get dumped. Or it's just rough. And I thought, actually, I'm not, I'm not actually a surfer. I got caught up in his passion, but it really wasn't my passion. Come on, you need your passion for Jesus. You, that's what's going to sustain you, is your passion for Jesus. And so... Uh, let's continue anyway here. I echo the words of Paul. Complete my joy. This is my cry for us, church. Let's be a deeply passionate, intently focused, radically obedient community united in one harmonious purpose. That's the one mind, C3 Wellington, that we want to have, that we are deeply passionate, intently focused, radically obedient, and united in one harmonious purpose. Come on to reach lost people, to see people come into the presence and wonder and splendor of Jesus, to, 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 to see lives transformed for the, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see the kingdom of God grow, to see His church thrive and advance, and to see lives made whole. Come on, let's unite around one harmonious purpose. Paul continues with an example of what it looks like to be of one mind. He continues with an example. So that's all set up to a specific example that I want to table because it's the Bible, and I ought to just table what he tables, amen? Let's just, pre let's just read what he preaches and let it settle on our hearts, and that is around the topic of servanthood, servanthood. Let's continue reading. Let's pick it up in verse three. It says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And that deserves a shout of praise. Come on, that deserves a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, we need to be high on astonishment, not low. We, we don't want to come in and, and just go through the motions. It's a dangerous place to be low on astonishment. 
And so this morning, I feel like he, he, Paul here is addressing how we can be unified in one mind. And, how, and I believe that this is the answer, one of the answers to how we win the war in our mind, because that's what we're talking about. And he brings up, the, he addresses that if you're going to be a one mind and one love, here's, here's what I'm going to give you, some practical application. Servanthood. Servanthood. He says, to be deeply passionate, intently focused, radically obedient community, united in one harmonious purpose, we must be others focused. We must be others focused. For you to win the war in your mind, you must be others focused. These things go hand in hand. The hallmarks of Christian community modeled by our Savior Jesus Christ is humility and servanthood. These things are the hallmarks of what it means to follow Jesus. Come on, a call to Jesus is a call to serve. It is a call to serve. It's a call to lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow him. I love uh, the, the German uh, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred in Germany around the Second World War, I believe. He said the call to Jesus is, a, is the call to, bi- Jesus bids us to come and die. To come and die. Fiona Rush, who preached a message, uh, which is so powerful, she said, you need to kill yourself. And then she realized, maybe, I mean, you need to, <laughs> it's like, kill yourself. But what she's meaning is you've got to let your flesh die. You've got to let it die. There are things in opposition to us being one-minded people, to be same-minded people. And he's saying that the opposition is selfish ambition. You living your life for your name and your renown, the I, 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 I kind of life. And, I, and look, this might seem kind of aggressive, but I'm here because I love you. And I, look, God loves us. He wants us out of that state. It's, un, it's, it's not as joy-sucking, life-taking. All of culture screams, you're the center of the universe. And the gospel says, no, Jesus is. For your joy, his glory, you don't want to be. I remember Christmas message about extra, extra, read all about it. Where the extras is the best thing ever. Let, he's the hero. He's the star. We get to. We get to. It's so awesome that we get to. That the God of the universe calls you and me into the story of redeeming his people is the craziest thing ever. There's nothing greater you can do with your life than see your life be used to make a spiritual difference in someone else. Nothing you can do beats that. There's nothing. Not even eating my brisket, which is pretty amazing, I have to say. The last two have been great. Nothing you do will ever outweigh you being pulled into the story of someone else's redemption, God using you as an empty vessel to pour a spirit through because you made the call to be like your Savior, to pour out your life for the good of the gospel and other people. You want to win the war in your mind. And start, one of the things which, which is critical is becoming others focused. We need to get over ourselves. It's so important. It's one of the whole, it's one of the keys that psychologists will give to psychologists will give to people struggling with deep depression. And these things are real. I'm not saying I'm not here to say, look, just get get over depression. No, these things are real battles that need a real, you know holistic approach to helping people through them. But I'm just saying one of the great strategies is stop making the world revolve around you. One of the, one of the hallmarks of depression is your internal life is just centered around you and what's going to happen to you and how, the outcome of you. And, and it, it, it's, it's this loop. And we just need to unplug from that loop. 
don't we? And, and, one of the, and Jesus is like, he did not consider. See, here's what you need to know about Jesus. He is eternal. He always was, always will be, and always is a sin. He had no end, and he had no beginning. He will have no end, he had no beginning. He is God eternal. He is God omniscient. He knows everything, every detail of your life, everything that's ever been. He knows it all. He's God. He is omnipotent. He is, omni, he is all power. God, Jesus has all power. He is, he is the most powerful, is the most powerful. There's nothing greater than that. There is no competition in the spectrum of power to him. He's immutable. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is Jesus who emptied himself and came in the form of a servant for you and for me. We need to be high on astonishment of that. That the, that the, 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 the eternal God would, would step in and take on flesh and, and come in the form of a man that he might be able to rescue you and rescue me and save us from the thing that would break us and, and to trample on death and to stand on them and things they know. And that now you are an eternal being and can live forever with him in glory. What an amazing thing. We want to get to the end of our life going oh, and having that regret. I know this is a classic preacher line, but I'm just, I'm just like, let's weigh that up. Are we high or low in astonishment of what Jesus has done for us? Because you see, servanthood is not about you feeling guilty. It's not about you going, oh, that preacher says I should jump onto this team or that team, and that will kind of you know, appease. It's not about that. It's not about obligation. Servanthood, the basis of servanthood is not obligation and feeling like you've got to, oh, imagine if my marriage with Bex was out of obligation. Well, because she said yes to me, then I better give her like a couple of hours every week. And you know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, I better do these things because I'm obligated. No, it's, it's based out of love. It's a response, right? Worship and awe. That's what I'm saying. Our astonishment, our awe, our wonder of Jesus as it wells up within us overflows into servanthood. It's the natural response of you and me when we come into the encounter God. Is we, we want to serve him. We just want to serve him. What can I do, Lord? See, the, this, it's not a servant issue necessarily. It's an awe issue. It's an astonishment issue. It's a, I've lost my astonishment of Jesus Christ. Come on, we want to, if we want to be that passionate, radically obedient community, we need to raise and, and get back to our astonishment, see him again. Oh, Jesus, see him in all his glory and all his splendor and all, and all, all of his wonder. I mean, just for a moment, Come on, remember this call to Christ is not a call to convenience. It's very inconvenient. And friends, it's going to get less convenient. Now I am, I believe that Romans uh, 12 or 13 outlines that we ought to live peaceably amongst men, and that we should, should live peaceably with the authority that God has placed over us, that every king and queen and, and authority that God has placed over us, he has placed over us, that, the, that he holds the hearts of kings and queens in his hands and then leaders in his hands. And so we ought not just to just shake our fists and rally, but to live harmoniously to a point, to a point. And that point might be when, when it starts to ask me to, to, to disobey my God and disobey the word of God, then I've got to make a stand. There might come a time, friends, that we have to make a stand. That making that stand could mean jail time. We haven't had that in New Zealand. We've lived in the sense of peace that we could just freely meet and freely gather and have the freedom and that the, that Christian, the Christian principles and the, and the church has been a pillar of society and accepted and loved, but that time has slowly been whittled away. You can feel it. It's, it's, it's happening. More and more now, society looks upon the church as either morally neutral in some places quite dangerous 
People might, might look at Christian, Christians and Christianity as, as no longer just being oh, good, good for the community, but not for me, but almost like dangerous for the community. And so things are shifting, and as the world moves further and further away from biblical principles and, and, and into, into more and more depravity, come on, the pressure for us to stand. And we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. But we have to stand. We're going to make a stand. We need to understand that what's going to get us through is an astonishment, a deep, overwhelming awe and wonder and worship of Jesus Christ. So critical. And, and so uh, I've got here self-centered. We need to remove the me, myself, and our attitude. I've said that. Self-centeredness, self-ambition. Come on, those things, they kill faith and they kill unity. You can't be unified in a group of people if one person's out for themselves. You know, that kind of distorts the group, right? If one person is, 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 look, it's all about me, myself, and I in this moment, then it distorts the group. Come on, we need to be about Jesus and um, look to his example. Uh, Pastor Dean Rush, who pastors the Auckland Church, he, he said to me around uh, his, uh, his attitude or his, his, his recommendation for, for young, for, for newlyweds, right? Because I think one of the common things uh, when, you know, that, that I've ex- certainly experienced and heard of is when newlyweds get married, they take like a year off serving. Like, we've just got to work on our marriage and get the basis and the foundation of our marriage correct and like, you know, and just like spend this first year just like getting used to the changes in life and all the rest of it. And, and Hayden and Cheryl are listening really intently right now. What's he going to say to me because I'm about to get married? And, uh, and Dean, Dean Rush, now this is just Dean. I'm, I'm just speaking on his behalf. So if you don't like it, you know, throw stones at him. But uh, he said, no, look, don't, that's, that's, don't do it. Don't, if you have an opportunity to speak to young married couples, say, serve together, be in the house of God, and commit together that you're going to serve God. There's no time off in the kingdom of God, because he says what he's seen is that couples do that, and they don't get back. They don't get back, they get out of the habit, and then they begin, they, they make their marriage the center of the universe, and it's not designed to be. Only one person can fulfill you, that's Jesus Christ. And marriage is a complementary thing to our lives. It's beautiful, it's God's ordained plan, but it's not to replace our worship, adoration, and our call to build the kingdom of God. And he says, just serve together. Serve together. Serve together. <laughs> Don't take that time off because you take that time off and you just, you're so used to getting out of the rhythm. I think that one of the reasons that a third uh, in some places of the church haven't come back after COVID is because they've got out of the rhythm. Because you can't, you get out of the rhythm, you get so used to getting your Sundays back, you're getting up in your pajamas and watching online church, and it's just so convenient with your coffee and your PJs, that when it actually goes back, it's like I've actually got used to the rhythm of not serving, I've got used to the rhythm, I've just started getting back into running, and my body got out of the rhythm of running, and now it's hard to get back, and I'm trying to get back, and I'm doing it, come thank you Jesus, thank you Michael, just you know, getting, you know whipping me back into shape, we did 8K uh, yesterday, and I'm feeling it today. Thank you, Jesus. But come on, like we can get out of rhythm, we can get out of shape, we can get out of spiritual shape, we can get out of the habit. And the Bible says, let's not neglect the habit of meeting together. And there is nothing that can be substituted for the gathering of the saints in the same room and being together. You can't get community through a screen. We're called to do this life together. As iron sharpens iron, yes, one will sharpen another. We need one another. We need to be doing a life together side by side. This is the call of the word. But people fall out of the habit. Anyway, let, let's talk. I've got some points before we close. Um, come on, Troy, you come and join me, mate. That'd be fantastic. But I want to talk to you about your commitment 
to serve. Now, first of all, again, let's remind ourselves the basis for serving is out of the astonishment, the awe, the wonder, and the worship of Jesus. Here's the reason. The reason why I get up, the reason why I want to worship, the reason I want to preach, the reason I want to serve is, is, is for Jesus because Jesus has meant so much. He's done so much for me. I want to respond. It's a response, right? We must understand that servanthood is a response, right? But let me tell you, when you made that commitment to allow your worship to move into servanthood, what it's gonna increase for you, I believe this. That's why I'm never ashamed to talk about it. Are there seasons in life where we need to step back? Yes, there are. Those are the exceptions to the rules, but there are seasons where we ought to take a step back. But those are exceptions. It doesn't change the fact that we're called to as our example of Jesus. Here's what I believe servanthood increases. You ready? Connection, connection. Come on, when we serve together, we feel more connected. We feel more connected. We feel a closer sense of togetherness when we're side by side building together. I love the story of Nehemiah who came back from captivity with a passionate vision and plan to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and some 50 old families, maybe more, but they caught the vision and they built together. And it was fathers with his sons and daughters and people that had no building skills, but they were just so caught up in the vision and they built together. And the wall was established in record time and the whole nation, or sorry, the whole city of Jerusalem was benefited and blessed by that. But I'm telling you, the names that were written in the book of Nehemiah were the names of those that committed in and got caught up in the vision and built together. And I, re- I just reckon the camaraderie of every day on that wall would have been something just so crazy awesome. There is nothing, uh, the connection that they have would have been so much greater than the connection of people that didn't build the wall, they just got the benefit of the wall, yeah? And look, I just want to say, C3 Wellington, you are in a blessed position, church family, because you get to be on the ground floor of what God wants to do and the vision that He's called for this church to be. We're stewards of a vision that God has given us. His church, it's His vision. We don't own nothing. We just come saying, God, thank you that you have entrusted us for a season with the vision of your house. This is our time. And we get to be on the ground floor. We get to be like those people, those Nehemiah, people in Nehemiah that got to build the wall for the benefit of others. The stories and the value. And every time they see the wall, it means something much more to them because they got to be a part of it. You get to be a part of something God's doing here. Because believe you me, His Word will come to pass. I've seen it. He's shown me. Hundreds of young people streaming into this. Four locations, at launch schools, sending, training, equipping people for church plans and all over the world. These things are going to come to pass because God has spoken. We get to be a part of that. Isn't that crazy? That He would say, you and you and you. These are the people I'm selecting to be in the foundations at the starting point to build the wall, to build the church how deeply connected we are when we build together. Servanthood increases connection. Let me tell you what else what our servanthood increases. It increases passion. Come on, when you are serving, you get more invested. You get skin in the game and you care more about the outcome. Your passion rises. Your passion rises. 
You become part of the success. You get to share in the success. When something happens, you're like, I'm a part of that because I had skin in the game. I was invested. And so there's a passion that overwhelms. It goes from theirs to ours. There becomes that sense of ours. And I'm in this and it's mine. And I just think that's so, so powerful. If you want your passion back, maybe when you look back, it's just serving. Let me give you another thing that servanthood increases. It increases purpose. It actually not only increases purpose, it reveals purpose. This is why as a pastor, I'll never apologize for calling you to serve. Because I'm so passionate about the purpose on your life. And I know that serving is a pathway, the doorway that unlocks your purpose. There is no other pathway. There's no other pathway. If we're not prepared to do the medial things, God will not entrust us. He says it this way, for those that are faithful with a little, I will entrust much. Much being people and influence, seeing people's lives transformed. Let me tell you another thing that servanthood increases, your worship. It's an upward spiral. Worship brings you as the, as the motivation in the service and in the servanthood. What Jesus has done for me motivates me to take a step. And as I step, my worship increases as I see what God has done and the, the humbling work that He would use me and, and that, that He would bring me into a story and to see the success stories and what's happening to be a part of that just increases worship. So worship goes from one level to another as we serve. As we serve. Let me tell you another point. Servanthood increases your faith. Just been to a, a conference all about for the faith, contending for the faith. Come on, as you participate in the purpose of God, you get caught up in the passion of God and His pursuit of His kids. Come on, this is what happens. And there's no greater purpose. We've already seen them being used by God. And this will grow your faith and the faith of others. As you step out and as God comes through, maybe, maybe, maybe just in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the direction of serving, something happens, God uses you. Your faith goes to a whole nother level. A whole nother level that it might not have any other way. Any other way. And I'll give you one last point. Servanthood helps win the war in your mind. It helps you mentally switch from being self-centered to Christ-centered, from being self-centered to others-focused. It's dying to yourself. It's picking up your cross and following. It is so necessary. It's so necessary, family. For your good and His glory, for your mind. Philippians 1.27 says this, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or I'm absent, Paul says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He correlates our manner of life to helping us be of one mind. 
He says, let our manner of life, what we do, our actions be worthy of the gospel, be worthy of what Jesus, let your action be worthy of what Christ has done for you. Let your action be worthy. Come on, let your response be worthy. James said, "With faith without works is dead. Let our actions be worthy of what Jesus has done to give it all, to let it all, just give our lives afresh to the cause of Christ. There's no greater thing. There's no greater thing. There's no greater thing. Come on, that our manner of life proves we are standing firm in one mind. Our manner of life proves we're standing with one mind, that we are deeply passionate, intently focused, radically obedient community, united in one harmonious purpose. Come on, let's stand, church.